And now, ladies and gentlemen, right to your host of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Welcome, everyone, to Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips, and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Hello there, Matthew. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone. I am Matthew Dressing. Thank you for joining us. I am Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, uh, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. I think we've had a very rough, <laughs> rough start to the, yeah, what start. happened to the headset? It was working a second ago. No, did it stop? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, technical difficulties, you guys. Thanks for hanging in there uh-huh. with us. Um, so this month on Down the Garden Path, we have been looking at some of our favorite perennials. But tonight, as we're wrapping up uh, our look on perennials and our perennial month, we love our June uh, perennial month, um, we are going to dedicate to some of our favorite hidden gems of the perennial garden. What? Stop laughing at me. <laughs> These perennials work hard in the garden, but are often overlooked. So we'd like to reintroduce you to these beautiful workhorses of the garden. So what we've done is I've picked five and Matt has picked five and we don't know each other's five. Um, And so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see like three out of the five are the same or something like that. But anyway, um, yeah, we thought we'd try something different. And maybe um, I know for me, these are plants I wish I used more often. A couple of them are in my garden, but then I still don't use them in, in my designs. And a couple of them, um, you know, I, I want to try using more. And Matt, what about your choices? Yeah, you know what? Um, I, all, I think you'll get all but maybe one of them. Um, but yeah, you know what? These are all plants that I've loved um, recommending at the garden center. I've used them in my designs that people have enjoyed. Um, and I just, yeah, I think that they're just overlooked and underused. And they've got multiples seasons of interest and I think they're just people maybe just don't know about them they're maybe on on the bench but on the fringe and maybe not always recommended what they are so I yeah I think it'll be very interesting to see what um, ours are I don't think you're going to get one one of mine I don't think I'm, I'm positive you did not guess uh, or or also choose um, okay interesting it's one of my absolute favorites um, Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Really? I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm t- I'm intrigued. So, uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, how are you doing otherwise? Are you, you've been busy with gardens or um, designs? Yes, both. Nonstop. I had a full day of working in people's gardens and design consultations. I've come home and I've had a quick bite to eat and we're already on the show. Uh, and the next whole week and next week is all booked up. So things are moving steady. And yes, thankfully, oh, it was a nice, good. cool day. Yeah, <laughs> it was a good day for that. Yeah. <laughs> so that is good. 
That is good. I got some, um, I feel good about, I finally I've been, honestly, here it is like the end of June and I'm finally gotten into my garden. So, uh, so yeah, so I've, I've really gotten, gotten some, I ha- had some things that needed to plant, you know, I would call it my driveway nursery where I try to keep plants desperately alive <laughs> while I can get them into the garden. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, so I got that uh, taken care of and I have a whole area of my garden that I'm wanting to revamp. So I didn't weed it. It was like, okay, this is not looking good. So I better, <laughs> you know, I better weed it and and look after it and stuff. And I'm still kind of puzzled. I have a hard time designing my own. It's so funny. Same with inside my house. I am just one of those people that it's just too close to me. And I think of too many options. I can walk into someone, obviously I can walk into other people's gardens and homes and think of ideas and boom, we know what it is. But for me, I, I really struggle. So, cause there's so much, so much choice, right? Yes. So, uh, so yeah. yeah. What do you pick? Well, you like so many things because we're know. exposed to all these wonderful plants. All I know. Life. Yeah. And I don't want to have one of those gardens where, well, I kind of do, but one of this and one of that, <laughs> like I do have groupings, but yeah, this is a particularly tricky spot. So, uh, so anyway. I uh, did some weeding and watering because I wasn't believing them when they said it was going to rain. And thank goodness, because it didn't really rain. So I did a lot of watering. And uh, yeah. You know what? I always say that to to people is I never trust that it's going to rain again. Remember, we're like, if it's going to rain like three millimeters, what is three millimeters, right? I always wait until there's at least an 80% chance of rain. And I, I maybe, I don't know if you know this or I've said this before, but um, I recently learned the 80% chance isn't whether or not there's an 80% chance of it going to, whether it's going to or not going to rain. There, It is going to rain, period. And 80% of the region that your forecast is will see rain. So when it's like a 10% chance of rain, there's rain in your area but only 10% of your area is actually seeing the rain. So when you see that really dark cloud way off, it looks like it's a few streamers, that's your 10%. But you uh, might not get it because you're in the 90% with no rain. So I thought that was very interesting. Anyways. <laughs> very, very interesting. Yeah. So anyway, so I feel good. I feel good, <laughs> you know, to a point. I'm looking forward to this long weekend, being able to spend a bit more time. And uh, I might actually get my act together and figure out what's going. And some things have to come out. I'm, I'm kind of, my nine bark is too mildewy. I am really mm. struggling with mildew. And now it's spreading to another mo- mo- one and another spot of my yard. So, and it's also in the spot in, I have to like duck under it. Well, I have to hold on, use it as a handle and duck under it in order to get to my faucet. <laughs> to water (laughs) so it is it is just becoming uh it's a little too big and it's a little too much in the way and now it's got a little too much mildew (laughs) so I think it's got to come out but uh yeah that's okay that's a huge space for you to fill in with oh absolutely gardens are never done oh my goodness never never done so yeah yeah so uh so yeah so speaking of gardens Bart Mm -hmm. has written in uh Hola, my, to my favorite garden show. I live in Puebla, Mexico, and I just wanted to send you a picture of my wild <gasps> fuchsia this year, doing well. And it's amazing because Bart, we sell that as an annual here and oh, as like no. a shade plant. And it's one of my favorite annuals. It looks lovely. Oh, 
Oh, it is beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you're sending us pictures and all the way from Mexico. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, that is beautiful and incredible that it is wild. Yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it is an annual for us here, Bart. So thank you so much for sending that. Um, That is great. Just before we jump into our Hidden Gems Perennials episode, uh, a couple other questions are just popping in. Uh, hi, Joanne and Matt. Eric is wondering, uh, what's the recommended amount of water to water your lawn each week? And it's a one inch deep once a week and early in the morning so that you minimize the amount of water that's actually just evaporating and, and disappearing. So just to one inch deep. And then again, Eric, remember to cut it three inches long once that humidex shows up, once we start to get into the mid twenties to help the grass stay cool and protect that water in the, the soil that you just put down. So yes, mm-hmm. thank you very much, Eric. We haven't had very many long questions this, uh, I know. this year, have we? <laughs> no, we haven't. I think we, cause everybody knows now we've educated them for four years now, Matt. You, you <laughs> have educated them. So there's no more questions. <laughs> And Beth is leading into uh, an excellent question that will segue right into our top five hidden gems, uh, perennials. Beth writes in, hello, Joanne and Matthew. When should perennials be planted? Can they be planted at any time of year? Thank you. And yes, you can pretty much plant them at any time of year. But just remember, Beth, that different times of year come with their different stresses. So when the ground is warm and the water table is high in the spring, we still have some cooler days. It's easy to plant them in there. It's a little less stressful versus, for example, the middle of August where it's 30 degrees, the ground is dry, the water tables are down, the the rain is infrequently. So it, it becomes a little bit more maintenance and keeping up on them when you want to plant them. You can definitely plant them in fall. Just remember when you buy those perennials, you're going to buy be buying root balls stressed in those those little containers, they may not quite be as happy sitting on the bench all year round. So check out that nice root ball, get them into the ground again, just like in the spring, the fall has a higher water table, lots cooler, much more cooler temperatures. um, And she's gonna perennialize and and go into the winter, wake up in the spring, uh, hopefully perfectly fine. So yeah, so any time of year, I've actually put in some perennials uh, in like uh, late December. Um, yeah, just because the ground wasn't frozen yeah so and they just pop right back they're tough yeah 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 you do need to i i that being said though i think this was a particularly hard winter mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. where i would have thought it would have been a good winter in the sense that the, the amount of snow we got would have protected the plants um better but i and i was at uh, with some other designers uh, last week as well and all the plants like a lot of the perennials not shrubs and trees, but the perennials that we put in late in the season last year, we've got a, a pretty high ratio of uh, didn't make it. I did the same thing. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, and the one things that we plant and we know need water and we know we know need looking after, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, our, even though we tell our clients to water it. Um, I had someone else call me today about another designer about her cedar or about cedars for her clients. And she said, you know, they were in late. And I said, I said, yeah, I said, but the problem is when you put them in October, you know, clients water them in October, but really you have to water them October, November and December. Like yeah. they need a lot of water and, and, you know, 
and I know no one's thinking of watering their gardens in December, but they really needed more. So, um, so yeah, that can be tricky. Um, so now that we, I, I, I came up with the title of my, like the names of my plants, but I didn't research. I like, I'm thinking, uh Oh, I didn't research. I'm thinking, Oh, Matt's got like all the research and knows all the botanical names for his plants. So I think you have to go first. Cause I have to look mine up. <laughs> <laughs> right and All so right. this is fun because these are plants yeah like we said right that you know I think are un underused for me anyway they were underused and that's In, where I went yeah. yes good good so yeah. what's your top not that they were like a top five right it's just what's your first one no yeah so these were just plants that I just thought of you know I, I've used them in gardens. I've got a number of gardens that I look after that have one or two or a bunch of them, one of them. Um, but my first was one of my, starting out with ornamental grass. Uh -huh. Yeah, little blue stem or schizacarium, rium, rium, scoparium. Woohoo! So, woo, it's a tongue say that. I know, say that twice. Yeah. It sounds like an yeah. Italian dish. No. Yeah, scoparium. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a Nor North American native grass to the mid-prairie region, and it's named for its little blue stem because when it's young and it's emerging, it has blue at the base of all the stems in the spring. And then there are a wide variety of new cultivars that pop up uh, and they have different varying colors, but I love this one just mainly because it's such a tough drought tolerant grass, but it also gives you lots of color throughout the season. So depending on which cultivar you get, there's a, a lot of uh, great um, variety, depending on where you are. We're gonna see this guy hardy from zone three to seven. So there's one east coast, west coast, north and south, we've got everything. And actually, as I, as I move in, uh, another little note, it's actually been named the 2022 perennial of the year. Of really? the grass. And this the, year, the 2022. For, it's this year's perennial of the year. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's a warm season grass coming from the prairies, tolerating full sun to partial shade. The straight species, we're going to see a little smaller, anywhere from 18 inches to 36 inches tall. So foot and a half to three feet by about 12 inches wide. But when we get into a lot of the cultivars, we're going to see some bigger ranges. We're going to see, again, that 18 to 36, but we're going to see a little bit more width where we're going to see 18 to 24. So foot and a half. To two feet and I've even seen some more mature ones that are pushing that 30 that 30 inch range. It's pretty adaptable to a wide range of soils including clay but won't like the wetlands. If you've got a wet okay. spot beautiful do not go there. Uh, clumps clump forming so it's non-invasive can be divided in the spring cut back like most of the grasses in late winters uh, to refresh them up. One of the cool things about this grass is a lot of the cultivars, including the species, hold their colors through the winter. So their fall colors especially are absolutely amazing. So we've got things like standing ovation, which is blue-green foliage, and it gets some uh, purple closer to the base, but it goes a fiery red-orange for the fall color. So that fiery red-orange tends to pull through a lot of those winter months. So giving you another level, we get the motion of those, those dry grasses, but we get some of that color still hanging out with our little blue stems. Okay. So yeah, so there's some cool different ones uh, to be checking out. Uh, if you're a fan of the birds, 
feeding wildlife. The uh, seeds are definitely edible for wildlife. And the birds will use the little tufted uh, feathery stuff from the, the flower spikes for later in the winter for nesting and other things. Okay. Um, no, native. Did you say that? Is it a North American native? I did, yeah. North American okay. native to the mid-prairie region. So, okay. yeah. So, and it'll bloom, depending on where you are, we can see it starting to bloom and, and actively blooming anywhere from June through December, if you're going from north to south across the okay. prairie. Yeah. Mm. A popular question we always get is, where can I buy them and how are they expensive? Mm. Yes. <laughs> so, in our area, I've always seen them from about $13 to $18 in a one-gallon pot. Depending on who you're, who you're buying from, you might see them in a little bit bigger. Okay. But, and a little bit more expensive. Other than that, great for mass plantings, uh, holding slopes. It has a fibrous root system, so it's good for a little bit of erosion control. Very high drought tolerance, being native to the prairie. Uh, Xeriscaping, as well as a host to several uh, moth and butterfly larvae. So again, a nice native, uh, there's a lot of little insects and good guys that are looking for this little as a host plant. Okay, excellent. So that's my first what? one with all that stuff, that research. I, I know, we're not going to get through 10 if you've done that much research per plant. <laughs> so I don't know, everybody. All right. um, I know, exactly, exactly. I just come and prepared. You came prepared, absolutely. Uh, what about um, your list? Pardon? What about okay. your list? Okay. Um, my list is uh, Virginia. Ooh, Have you? I know. Yes. So, um, in my unprepared list, so Virginia, I think it's sometimes called pig squeak. It's kind of yeah. a weird thing, right? It has called it uh, is Virginia. So for me, it's the like the people who love hostas, you're going to love Virginia. So it really is a huge foliage plant, um, very kind of more rounded leaves than hostas. And in the spring, it sends up a spike with pink, red or white flowers. So I think there's a variety of flowers that you can uh, use and uh, likes part shade. So it doesn't need a Yeah. Virginia is known as pig squeak at, for the sound it makes when two leaves are rubbed together. There you go. Yes. <laughs> um, but for me, the coolest thing, like it, it really does stay compact and the mm. leaves are, are very sturdy, like sturdier than hostas and kind of evergreen. So in the fall, like the flowers are long gone because they only bloom in the spring. So then it really is like a background plant for me in the garden. But yeah. in the fall, the leaves actually turn burgundy and they don't disappear like hosta leaves. You know, like hosta leaves, after a frost, they go yellow and they go mushy and we take them away. And then we wait for the hosta to, to come up from the ground again. Virginia, the leaves go red in the fall and then they just kind of like flop over and they stay there. They're very evergreen. And then it's weird in the spring, you think, oh, okay, I have to clean it up and remove the leaves. No, no, the leaves are there. They just wake up again. And, and I just think it's, I don't know, that seems pretty lame, but it does. It is true. It, that's how it works. Um, and they, they stay nice. Um, I recently saw them in a, and I, I think because of their leaves being so structured, they're like a, a good, 
you know, not that they're a steppable, but they're a good plant, you know, for putting in a spot that could potentially be walked on, you know, yeah. um, I was mentioning to you, uh, they reminded me of the plant at the garden tour I was at a couple of weekends ago, because they had it at kind of like a corner of the walkway and the and the garden, and where you could see people could potentially want us cut through, but it's such a structured plant. Yeah that they wouldn't, but even if they did, they wouldn't hurt it, you know? Um, so that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, uh, so that's one of my things. It loves the shade and dapple light. Um, it doesn't need full sun, uh, 12 to 18 inches. Um, as I read here, <laughs> you can deadhead. It is a slow grower. Um, and the flower spikes, you know, kind of bloom above the, uh, the foliage. Um, yeah. So, um, that is my number two or so no, my, my, our, our number two, but my number one. Yeah. You know what? One Virginia of the Cordifolia. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> go uh, yeah, definitely an awesome plant. And it reminds me of one that I was going to put on my list. Um, Mukdenia and it's um, oh. crimson fans. Yeah. I told you, I think I've told you about this one. Um, big hand maple size native to Japan. Uh, white flowers in spring, red fall color, but they've actually crossed Mukdenia with Virginia to give you Mukdenia. And it looks like your Virginia, but it has more of a serrated, like a smaller serrated uh, leaf, oval mm. leaf with the red in it and the same flowers and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, so the, yeah that's a great one. Yeah, and I actually had someone at one of the growers at our, one of my favorite wholesale nurseries uh, gave me that or told me to buy that plant to test it out. But I and even Virginia, I have some in more sun. So it's kind of interesting. And, and some in the part shade and the ones are in full sun are not doing as well. So I think that's I think I've got to move them. They were being shaded by other plants. So I thought they'd be okay. Um, but, yeah. but they're not. So, um, yeah. Wow. So anyway, so I think it's, you know, it's something to mix in with your hostas. I just, I feel hosted out like more. I don't, you know, there's, there's a place for them for sure, but boy, you know, I think people, yeah. there's a lot of other shade plants and I've got another one coming up. That's perfect for that too. Um, I think people have to start looking at other things. We're getting into much into, um, the mono monoculture. Yeah. Yeah, Monaco, you can almost like see yeah. like where designers are just putting in the same like 15 plants. And it's like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if it's design. Like, I don't want to pick on designers. I think it's homeowners, you know, because they're easy to share and everybody has too much of them and, and, and stuff. But I think, and it's and, easy, like, you know. Yes. And I, maybe not even designers too. I think there's also some contractors who mm. know that these ones are just staples and they're easy. And they're like a no, like a fail safe. And you yes. can put them in. And that's yeah. how they also get overused too. Yeah. Like Euonymus. Purple yeah. Sanctuary. Wow. Like well, that could be a whole show about all of the plants that contractors love that we hate. <laughs> Euonymus. Purple Sanctuary. <laughs> Junipers. <laughs> so here's a, here's the show. We'll pick those and we'll give you our best recommendations instead of plant this. That's not right. That. <laughs> oh, there we go. We need to, we could do that. Plant this, not that. <laughs> look at us brainstorming live right? in the air. live on the air guys <laughs> we're keeping uh, it as we round out the month i know do you have another one and i'll check messages all right so next on my list again 
just I was just picking these and then I was just putting in information for them. But bearded beard tongue or bearded tongue or foxglove beard tongue um, are Penstemon digitalis. And again, another North American native wildflower hardy zone three through seven, partial to full sun, medium size, again, three to four feet tall and about a foot and a half to two feet wide, um, but very adaptable to average garden conditions, likes a little more well, can be well drained if possible, but will tolerate clay loam as well. Uh, so pretty good, easy to divide, blooming uh, all summer long with tall spikes of uh, white or pink tubular little flowers, bees and hummingbirds love these guys. We're gonna often see, uh, at least in our area, the cultivars Husker Red and Dark Towers. And these two are sturdy, uh, upright mounds of dark purple or reddish purple foliage. So they're really nice and colored as they come out. They tend to lose a little bit of the color as the flowers come out. But then they really uh, darken up again to go in through the fall and into the winter. But take a look. Um, if you just Google, like, um, sorry, bearded tongue or penstemon in North America, there are a lot of really neat cultivars from here all the way down to Florida that are of different species. And they come with different tubular flowers, but there are like, um, purples and pinks and whites and fuchsias and like mandarin orange pink colors so there's a wide range of colors and leaves and, and uh, different stuff so you can often find those again in in your garden center the average one gallon or two gallon price Excellent. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yes, I did pick up some Husker Red for my garden, thinking it was red flowers, but it's red foliage. Yeah. But it still is a pop. I have them. I tuck them in by my peonies and um, the burgundy foliage compared to the green foliage on the peonies. And then the pink flower on the peonies versus the white flower on the penstemon. They actually made like quite a nice little stunning little collection, like little area there. So I was very happy with that. Yeah. yeah, that would pair well with peonies. Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, definitely. So, and and good pollinators, absolutely. So that's great. Yeah, bees, butterflies, hummingbirds, and it's also deer and rabbit resistant. Ah, those issues. Yes, they're going to hold their own. Okay, good. Well, my next one is, oh, let's actually, we do have a few questions. So okay. Kyle, Kyle has written in, is it advisable to fertilize my perennials? If so, what is a good general fertilizer? Um, I say improve the soil. Like you can fertilize, there's no harm. You can get a 20-20-20 fertilizer. Um, but I think the key for long-term, Kyle, is making sure you have really good soil. So making sure you're adding um, leaf mold or compost or manure um, to your soil and that the soil will feed your plants. But if you do, um, want to fertilize them, then you absolutely can. Right, Matt? Yeah, exactly. I always think of fertilizing, like the, taking a multivitamin, you know, mm -hmm. feeding the soil, or are we going to eat a healthy diet? Yeah. You can get it from the multivitamin, you can get it from the fertilizer, but if you work to be healthy inside, everything yeah. else will fall into place. Yeah. And it's not, you're not going to see, um, in either case, you're going to see immediate reaction. Like it's a long, like when it comes to perennials, right. And soil mm -hmm. and improving that and fertilizing, you're in it for the long game run. Like it's different than the lawn. Like I know you can spread fertilizer yeah. on the lawn and you're like, wow, that really, you know, that really perked right up. <laughs> um, you know, perennials, it doesn't quite work that way. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that's something to know. 
Um, and then Laura is asking, great question, Laura, do all perennials need sun all of the time or are there shade perennials? Yes, as you can find out from the, the variety that we're going to talk about tonight, varying lots of different things um, that can grow in all kinds of light. So yes, it's not just full sun. Um, there's lots of plants that like just a bit of sun, like part sun, and there are definitely some shade plants. Um, Laura. Yeah. So um, yeah, we've done a couple of that. You probably look back on some uh, on our uh, podcast. We've done uh, shade perennials. We've done a few shows about shade. So uh, yeah. That's right. And yeah, just so building on that, Laura, we tend to find that the sunny perennials tend to have good foliage color, but lots more blooms. And the shade perennials and the partial shade tend to bloom well, maybe a little bit shorter depending on who it is, but also rely heavily on foliage color mm -hmm. as well as their interest versus just green leaves and flowers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so my next one is a weird and wacky one, I think. Um, it's called geom. Geom? G-E-U-M. So also deer, right? Did I get right? I, I'm motioning like an inch because I was this close to putting it on. It's on my honorable mentions. Oh, there I you love, go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't do. Of course you did honorable mentions. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I uh, <laughs> deer and rabbit resistant as well. Yeah. Um, or and it's it's uh, underused because I think people it's like an orangey color. Um, so it's very different. And so I think it really changed. It really adds something to the garden. The pollinators love it. Um, it is like the foliage is a bit like coral bells in the sense that the mm. foliage, right, is lower and tighter to the ground. And then the flower spikes come up, but they don't come up like the coral bell spikes um, in the sense that there's, you know, blooms there. They're a bit more daisy, almost daisy like, not quite, yeah. but, you know, I can't think of another like they are a nice round, you know, predominantly. What's what's yeah, daisy-like. And then okay. some of the doubles like almost remind me of like mini peonies. Like oh, okay. Wide peonies. Yeah, yeah. And I read that you can, even if you deadhead it, they will keep blooming. So I, it's a funny story. So I remember this because it was a garden that we put in at the end of a season a few years ago. And it's in my neighborhood. And I asked for, I forget whether I asked for catnip, cat mint or coral bells but they sent me something else and I was like what is this and <laughs> so I you know and it couldn't have been coral bells because they were leaves are green but I just did not know what it was and so we put them in the garden and so I even walked I've been walking past the garden for weeks now and they have been blooming so and it was like a circular sitting area and they're on the inside of the circle nice. and they just look lovely like they're like these little airy little flower heads that are blooming in the wind and honestly it's been two and a half weeks and they're still blooming so I'm going to ma message the homeowner and to tell her to you know she can snip and see if it we can keep it blooming so I think uh, they are a really interesting plant, and certainly we get asked that a lot about about pollinators and uh, and or sorry deer and rabbit resistance. So I think that's a good good one. Um, enjoy sun to part sun um, zones three to seven. I know we're gonna have to talk faster if we're gonna get through all ten. <laughs> no, <laughs> we could be quicker. Yeah, yeah. Those are a great one. Um, definitely check those out. Definitely check. Should we do a quick thing at the uh, little mid show or? Should sure, we yeah, go for it. 
Maybe just for those who are joining in, thanks for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and, uh, jo- <laughs> Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Don't forget to spend more time with us down the garden path. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Down the Garden Path Podcast is our handle. You can find lots of our past episodes uh, on any of your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And don't forget, we love to hear from you guys. So hit that like button, share, and leave us a comment. You can always write us here in studio 101 at gmail.com, but you can also write us directly at down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com. Don't forget to check out our websites www.downtoearth.ca is where you can find Joanne. And you can find myself at www.naturalaffinity.ca. And tonight, uh, or before I end that part, don't forget you can also check out our brand new Down the Garden Path, a step-by-step guide to your Ontario garden, newly printed out on amazon.ca or .com, whichever you prefer. Uh, so very well. And I think Daredevil I saw in the questions was wondering how the book was doing. And thank you, Daredevil. It is doing wonderful. We are are selling well and it seems to be getting lots of traction. So if you've bought a book already, don't forget to please log on to amazon.ca or .com and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Uh, It really helps us out. It also gives others who might be hesitant to buy, uh, you know, an insight. You can share your pictures as part of your review let us know what you think. So we are talking our hidden gem perennials. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joanne and I both picked five. Uh, is it my turn or is it your It turn? is. No, it's your turn. It's my turn? Wow. Um, I think, was it Beth who was asking about, uh, or Laura, sorry, asking about uh, sun and shade. And uh, one of mine was lungwort or pulmonaria mm. and their hybrids. Uh, and Laura, these are full shade to partial shade. Uh, so great host alternative, uh, native to Europe and Western Asia, zone three through all the way through nine. Uh, and they tend to be smaller. So they're gonna see them about eight to 16 inches tall and wide. Uh, average to moist soil, doesn't like it to dry out is the key. So if you've got kind of a dry shade isn't going to work for you, but average moisture to a moist shade, uh, they will love it. Otherwise adaptable to soil pH, uh, sandy, silty, clay, loam, all that sort of stuff. They're going to bloom with tall spikes in late spring and early summer. And what they tend to do is emerge with uh, their flower stems with pink buds. And as they open, they turn to blue or a pinky blue or a pinky purple or a purple, a purple kind of color. So the other thing that is wonderful about our lungworts is the leaves themselves. They are long lanceolate or almost strap-like leaves with lots of silver and or green and silver markings. So majesty uh, is a bright silver lance shaped leaf uh, with silver and with a little green edge, so almost like a reverse variegation. Uh, some, like Raspberry Splash, have more of a dark pink and purple clusters with a nice dark green leaf and nice silver spots all over the leaves. 
Uh, and then if you're in a classic white garden, again, the green leaf with silver spots, but Sissinghurst white is a great pure white variety as well. Again, you're gonna find them in the garden center, just in a typical one gallon, anywhere from 13 to $18, depending on the cultivar. Raspberry Splash is newer out on the market, so you're probably gonna see that closer to your 15 or your 17. Uh, but these guys go great with ferns, hostas, cucaras, and stilvies, all those other shade ones, especially mm -hmm. if you've got places with lots of color. Uh, silver tends to trick the eye into believing all the multicolors are a little bit more toned down. Uh, so you can always use those if you've got lots of different colors, but they're definitely underused. Uh, tough plants, drought tolerant, deer and rabbit resistant, and some of the most vibrant clusters of flowers first thing in the spring. Uh, so definitely go check out our um, lungworts, our pulmonary. Yeah. Excellent. Well, continuing with the shade, um, epimedium. Oh, great choice. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, people are constantly asking what to put in dry shade. Yeah. Um, you know, that type of thing. And um, it is a good one to do. And mine is, and so it remind, my own garden reminded me of that. It's a, it is a multi-season plant in the sense that um it's it's tough in the shade so it's low it's kind of got low heart-shaped leaves that go red in the fall um i haven't found my barrenwort is also the common's name so common name goes by a few names epimedium barrenwort bishop's hat um are are some of the the options there but it's it's kind of like a ground cover likes it dry and shady and um and the fall color and even now the green like it's it's really it's taking a little while to get established underneath my crimson king um, maples in really challenging uh conditions but it's actually there's some hostas that are struggling and it's doing better than that so um so yeah so i think it's something that we could you know it would do better in less severe environment than i have put it in um <laughs> right um but it would it does make a really it's like a background plant so it's not a focal point plant but it's a good i think there's starting to be and, and this may be a show we talk about in the future too that um people are going to more of a of a plant type mulch, uh, mulch instead of like ground covers and underplanting using mm -hmm. plants as opposed to using mulch and this is one of those plants where it can be understated. It can be a ground cover. Um, it's not going to go crazy. It, it's not invasive, right? In your right. experience, is it invasive? Yeah. Um, no. So it, um, but then the the beautiful leaves, the way they hang, and it's so low, and then the edges turn red in the fall, and they look really, really lovely. Um, They're so pretty. They're yes. So pretty, and even the foliage too, and the little wiry stems. And that arrowhead or heart-shaped leaf, they're so pretty. That's a great choice. That one is tough as nails. Yeah. Tough yep. as nails. Yeah. And I don't know why. I think it probably doesn't look great at the nursery. Like, I, I you know, it's yeah. certainly not a showy plant. So I think that's, uh, you know, the pretty, really pretty flowery ones. Same with lungwort, right? After, yeah. I'm sure they sell a ton when it's flowering. But when it's done, yeah, it's just, you know, and interesting. And it looks kind of odd in the pot. But in the shade garden, when it's not even when it's not flowering it looks amazing so yeah yeah the epimedium yeah definitely don't overlook that one because like you said it's it's with those wiry stems they do and then the tuft of leaves on top it looks kind of weird in a in the garden center but it's a it's awesome you'll love it yeah you will definitely and the flowers too the little clusters of flat and their pinks and oranges and purples and whites and yellows 
Yeah. Yeah. What's next for you? For me, my next one was kind of moving out of the shade or partial shade into the sun. Again, you know what? Another weird one, just looking at where they were from, uh, because I like to to remind or tell everybody, but Turtlehead, Cleona. Uh, Yes, that's always been one of your favorites. It's always been one of my favorites. Again, North American native, three to nine, full sun, tolerate shade actually well too. Um, highly adaptable to the average garden conditions for soils, um, actually does very well in clay soils, um, but does best with average to moist and clay soils as well. So if you've got a hard spot where you've got a little bit of clay and a little bit of moisture, your turtle head's going to do wonderful. Two to three feet tall, foot and a half to two feet wide, very dark, dark green, uh, pointed leaves, uh, and then in later in the midsummer to fall or late summer to midfall, you'll get little spikes amongst the leaves. And it's called turtle head because the flowers come out and they look like the head of a turtle. Like ah, a turtle. Okay. It even has like a little bit of a uh, where the pointed nose is, even has a little bit of a mouth where the flower opens. Okay. There's a cool couple of cool little cultivars, tiny tortuga which is a little dwarf one. It's about uh, just under a foot and a half by 10 inches. Again, rich, dark green foliage. Uh, and then hot lips is a common one you'll see out in the gardens. Uh, bronzy green foliage in early spring as it comes out, maturing to that nice, rich, dark green. And then end of summer through the midfall, we're gonna have rosy pink turtle head flowers. So again, one gallons, that regular price range, a little cheaper, but they've, these have been out for quite a while. Um, so usually about that $10 to $15 range. Great with the stilbies, hostas, uh, different sedges. So some of the thicker bladed oh, yeah. grasses, rutabecchias go well. And again, great cut flowers, waterside, wet areas, and attracts butterflies. So there's a quick rundown of our... <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. I guess we should have just done three each because boy. <laughs> this is well, that we'll know for next time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, da, da, da. Container guard. So just a few questions before I get oh, to my yeah. next one. Um, Gail has written, written in, are there any perennials that be, can, can be grown in containers? If so, which ones? Great. Excellent question. We could write a whole book on that, couldn't we? Um, yeah, pretty. I think most perennials can be grown in containers. Uh, Gail, the challenge is the winter. Yeah. So um, even some of the small shrubs I've successfully grown in containers. And this year I'm actually testing out. um, Oh, my gosh. Sumac, sumac, tiger eye sumac I'm testing out. Um, But yeah, hostas. I've seen people do lovely arrangements with hostas and Japanese forest grass and Mm -hmm. and stuff in in uh, in containers. So, Gail, if you have a spot where you can put them in the container and then in the winter, put that container in, like dig a hole in September or October and put the whole container in the ground or, or take the plants out of the container and put them in the ground somewhere, then that's something you can do um, for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Anything can pretty much go. And a lot of the ones that we've been talking about, like your Virginia, the epimedium, uh, the little blue stem, the turtle heads, the lungworts, these all make great uh, spillers, fillers and thrillers mm-hmm. uh, in your container. So definitely don't hesitate to throw in a, a beautiful perennial. For mm-hmm. sure. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, things like um, coral bells, like adding yeah. a bird, you know, if you've got annuals, like often I will mix annuals and perennials together um, and yeah. topicals that, that, that you can really have fun with that. It's just a plan for, unless you're okay, if you're okay with throwing it away, if it dies of the winter, then that's okay yeah. too. Right. Cause, cause annuals are so expensive these days that a perennial is about the same price. And if you get a 50, 50 chance, I've seen some, we've brought them in the garage. Like you can look at other tricks. I think yeah. in the ground is safest, but you can yeah. try, you know, putting them in the garage and, and uh, they do need to get cold that you can't bring them in the house. They do need that rest period where they're, where they're cold. So, um, and this is another question. So that question, I don't think we've been asked before, Matt, I think of all the questions we've had, that was a great one. And yeah. Tim has asked another one too. And he's asking, what is the difference between cool and warm season grasses? Excellent question, Tim. Thank you so much for asking that. Yeah, excellent question. Yeah, so Tim, the cool season grasses, um, like your Carl Forrester or your blue fescues, uh, or a lot of the sedges as well, what they do is they have their growth in the cooler season. So when we get that 16 to 21, 22 temperature in the spring, that's when they're going to drive most of their growth. And they're going to fill in and pop. Not that they don't stop flowering or growing at other times of year, but that's the fuel for their energy or their growth temperature-wise. And then when we get to the warm season grasses, which tend to be the groups that are much bigger, our miscanthus, our panacetums, our blue stems, our panicums, um, they tend to be wider and much taller. Miscanthus gets up to 10 feet. They want the heat of the summer. Mm -hmm. They're going to look for that 22 to 29 degrees Celsius, those longer, warmer days. And they're going to take that all that light and that warmth and really show a lot of their growth. So that's where you'll see sometimes uh, Carl Forrester, the columagrasses, the feather reed grass, uh, that tall weedy one that we see in the drive throughs in the fall. Wheat tea, wheat tea, wheat tea, tea. not wheat <laughs> tea. That's yes, right. Thank you. <laughs> wheat, like as in wheat mm -hmm. bread with. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's what we see it grows so quickly. Uh, first thing in the spring, but we might see in our own gardens some of our bigger zebra grasses still kind of slow or yeah. small. And it's they're just waiting for the switch in the season. Yeah. yeah and that's, yeah, it's important yeah. to be patient because I think I know both of us working at garden centers, you know, unfortunately yeah. <laughs> in May, people would be coming in with buckets and, you know, containers and containers of grasses to return them because they were quote unquote dead. And they, and all of us working at the garden center were like, no, it's not dead. It just isn't yeah. ready yet. You know, they really that's need so some heat. Cool. So yeah. So th things like gr ornamental grasses, rose of Sharon's perennial hibiscus, mm. butterfly bushes. Those are all the things that you brought, brought back to the nursery when they really weren't dead. <laughs> and we all took them home and, you yeah. know, planted, <laughs> right. And they're in my garden now, but anyway, yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, exactly exactly so excellent questions too. i can tell everybody loves our uh, perennial uh month so um so excited so get your shrub questions yeah. ready because it's not isn't next month shrub month right next week we're or next month we're tackling some shrubs all so. right okay all right so my number four is, is it your four or five? it's my four nope uh oh, geom okay. virginia epimedium ligularia 
Mm. So I don't have it in my garden. I have put it into two gardens so far this year. I have um, now some I was just reading here where it said it's a cross between um, and you know, everybody's gonna laugh because it has yellow flowers, everybody. But it's a cross between like yellow, uh, black eyed Susan and a delphinium, in a way, you know, it's kind of got that spiky flower like a delphinium, the mm. leaves, the leaves are, are very interesting. Um, and it's yellow, like a black eyed Susan. So so not, I, of course, plant it more for the foliage, like the Virginia, than the flower. Yeah. Um, they're green, like a nice, deep, dark green, like a house plant, dark, you know, like rubber tree plant, dark green, I find. Yeah. Yeah. And the underside is burgundy and they look lovely. They will tolerate shade. They like water. So they look great next to, you know, sometimes we have tri tricky spots with when people have um, water features like pondless water features and they're splashing, mm -hmm. um, not, you know, putting ornamental grasses would look good there, but yet they don't want all that water. So yeah. Ligularia is something that's more of a statement like an ornamental grass. I mean, it's not as tall as an ornamental grass, but it's still a um, not like a, you know, it's still a structured plant, which has got an interesting shape. Um, and it likes that water. So I just think, um, whether it, whether you want to, I, if I had it in my garden, I don't have a, I don't, I have a too dry of a garden for that. I would cut off the yellow flowers, <laughs> but still enjoy the, the, the foliage. So I yeah. love it. And I don't think, um, we're using it enough. I don't think people are using it enough. Um, so yeah, Othello, um, rocket, or some varieties. Um, and again, for something to have a showy plant that grows in part sun, part shade to shade, I think is really cool. Yeah, I agree. Another great pick. Megillary is completely underused, that beautiful mm. foliage. Um, yeah, for sure. My last one, as we wrap into the last five minutes, um, I guess you have one more as well, don't you? Mm -hmm. um, very quickly. Mine is um, Spigelia. So Spigelia, it's making, it's a native wildflower, making really? its way onto the, to the scene. It, it's vegetatively propagated, the, the cultivars that we're going to see, Little Red Head. Uh, and then uh, it was a new one I found the other day, Raging Cajun is the other Ooh. one to it, <laughs> new cultivar. <laughs> wow. Um, but these are, again, native to our area, zones five through nine, full sun to partial shade with very good shade tolerance, very unique, um, thrives in moist, most soil textures, soil moisture, uh, but doesn't want rich, uh, but does best in rich, moist, well-drained soil, sorry. It always okay. requires some good drainage, no standing water, long-lived, divide in the spring, blooms from late spring through mid-summer, but it's very upright and arching flower stems with upward facing red trumpet flowers with yellow insides. So red and yellow throats uh, that just keep blooming. Raging Cajun, newer cultivar has more of a rounded habit, a little bit more floriferous uh, and is more of like a, a spicy orange red color as well. So you, can, you can't really find them in garden centers yet. Who you want oh. to look for is talk to your bulb companies. Oh. So you want to go look to your local seed catalogs uh, in the spring, get their spring version of those seed catalogs and bulb catalogs. And that's where they are. But super tough, tolerant, nice dark green uh, mound of foliage. I didn't say how tall they're going to grow. And they're going to grow about two feet tall uh, and about two feet wide as well. So okay. a nice little mounding 
uh, creature. But again, uh, pairs with well with most of everything that we've yeah. talked about today. Excellent. Uh, yeah. And we will have all of this in our show notes, right? We'll write a blurb about each of the plants for our show notes. We will. <laughs> <laughs> you already yeah. have. Um, so we've just got a few minutes left. So mine is yeah. one I saw in one of my girlfriend's gardens last week. And I definitely want to get it for my garden. It's called Amsonia. Oh, that was all that's in my mentions. I love yeah, it. So it is um, very flocks like in a way, but they are blue, like powder Ooh. blue or or very similar to the um, lungwort flower, like periwinkle kind of blue, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't believe how beautiful they were in her garden. And she says they bloom for a long time. Um, so yeah, so am a blue star flowers are so the botanical name is Amsonia, common name is blue star for its soft blue star shaped flowers. And blue star flowers are one of the truest blues you will find in flower colors. Yes. They are um native to many regions of North America and are pretty much problem free. So I, I, I'm shocked that we don't use them more mm -hmm. um, like flocks, two to three feet tall, two to three feet wide, depending on how you're growing them. And they like to be in like shrub and like little clumps. So, uh, so yeah, so they are hardy from zone three to 11 too. So definitely uh, one to look for. Um, so yeah, so that is our hidden gem episode really fast <laughs> i guess we, we learned that we can't do 10 right gary we're gonna just maybe have to stick to eight next yeah. time we're talking about 10 three we, we had to listen to this on like one and a half speed i don't know <laughs> that's what we were talking at i know yeah. i know but it's that's been a great show and we love perennial month we would yeah. love to know what you would like us to talk about um, next year on perennial month. If we, you know, uh, what perennials we feel like we've covered a lot, right? We have. Yeah. We've covered a lot, but there are yeah. lots more to discover. Yes, yes, definitely. And for shrub month, if there's a particular shrub that you want to learn more about or an area that you want to know, um, you know, we'd love to hear some feedback on that, right? That's right. That's right. You can write us here in studio 101 at gmail.com or down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com and uh, mm -hmm. talk to us. Uh, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Thank you, everybody who has sent uh, some pictures out recently. Um, we're still going busy. We haven't forgotten about you. We will write back soon uh, if we haven't. But thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another wonderful episode of Down the Garden Path. Here on Reality Radio 101, we will see you next week. Take care and bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.